Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. They have great podcasts you should go listen to, but they also have great technology that can help your business. The big reason why more than 300 of last year's unicorn startups use HubSpot is because there is no other software that keeps you better connected with your teams and your customers so you can crush all your business, sales, revenue, marketing goals. The new HubSpot Sales Hub brings you that power of an easy-to-use platform designed for today's top entrepreneurs, today's top sales teams, with 360-degree deal management and real-time reporting, you get accurate windows into every inch of your business. And with AI-powered tools like their new ChatSpot, you'll have a dedicated assistant that knows your business inside and out. ChatSpot enables your team with one-stop access to a ton of time-saving functions like pulling data, tracking calls, managing leads, scheduling emails. So trade cold calls for warm leads because when it comes to scaling sales, your software should be smart. And the solutions should be simple. Get on track for your best Q1 yet. Check out HubSpot Sales Hub at HubSpot.com slash sales. What was that inflection point? Could have been growing up. Could have been when you're older. Could have been family, career, relationship. Oh my gosh, there's so many. You have to pick one. Okay. You have to pick one. I would say, obviously, there's a lot of inflection points in my life, but one an earlier one that sent me down a completely different trajectory. I had been right out of college. I went to work at the Gala Winery and I was a salesperson and I became top salesperson, blah, blah, blah. I start getting sexually harassed at work. Back then, I wasn't the most confident person in the world. I was young. I was 21, mm -hmm. 22 years old. And so I just quit. And... My boyfriend at the time, who I lived with, his father owned a bud distributor and um, very, very successful. Like on the outside, everyone looked at us like they're getting married. I thought we were getting married. Like this is the love of my life. We had a dog together, right? Like it was. You're doing all the right things. <laughs> quote unquote picture perfect, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm unemployed. I go to some event. I start chatting up some guy at the event. The guy offers me a job on the spot. This is pre-Google, right? There was no Google opportunities back then. I had no idea. I threw out a number. He hires me. I start working for this guy. He's in the radio business. I'm selling air. You know you're a good salesperson when you can sell air. Okay, let's leave it at that. So I'm really getting trained well in sales. And the guy's incredible, super successful, Things are going great. And he's like, I am going to make you my protege. And I'm getting so excited every day going to work. Anyway, one day I come home and there's a T-shirt with lipstick on it in my house. My boyfriend was cheating on me. I It was definitely a shock. I had never been cheated on at this point in my life. And You're I, young. You're still very young. Like 22, yeah, something yeah. like that, 23. And so I, but I thought I was marrying this guy. Yeah. We've been together for years. We live together. You know, I just, I was in shock. So immediately I moved out and went to a friend's house. I was like, I cannot you know, be with this guy. I'm out of here. But I fell into this deep funk. Like I stopped wearing makeup to work. I was like little, you know, crying. I was a train wreck. But I had become very close with my boss during this time as he was mentoring me. So he immediately recognized something was wrong with me. And so I went into work and he's like, whoa, whoa, what happened to my star? Like, where, where is she? What's happening? So I said, I got cheated on and I thought I was marrying him. And he actually had known my boyfriend. And he said, I'm going to ask you a question. Will you get on a plane with me and move somewhere to be my partner, sight unseen? You can't ask me where we're going to go. I'm going to drop you off. 
You're going to be the on-site partner. You're going to run the company. You and I will stay in touch via phone until we sell it. Our goal is to go in, acquire this company. You accelerate revenues as fast as you can. We're going to go ahead and sell it. And then I'm going to put your name on the map. And I'm like, does it mean I don't have to see him anymore? That's all I cared about. He said, yeah, Heather, you're going to get on a plane and never come back again. I'm like, where do I sign up? So that was the extent of it. That is something I would have, I would have never, no one leaves home. Like I grew up in outside of Boston in this, you know, big city that everyone was friends forever. They're still all my best friends live there. I would have never left that city ever had that man not cheated on me. And it ended up being this incredible gift that I was given. My partner and I bought a $25 million company. We landed in Saginaw, Michigan, which I had never been to before. He bought the company. Obviously, you didn't have money at the time. So he's buying the company. He's putting you into it. I was a sweat equity partner. He Uh, was the finance behind it. Um, And so he literally dropped me off. I walked in the doors at 24 years old. And I'd never run a company before, right? I had been number one salesperson here or there, whatever, but I had never run my own company. And I walked in and everyone was white and in their 50s. It was the radio business. And we had news talk radio and all these five different radio stations. Everyone was so much older than me. And um, I walked in and introduced myself as every the owner of the company everybody was now working for. And in under three years, we accelerated ra- revenue so rapidly, we sold that company for $55 million in under three years. So that's a huge success story. I'm so curious, first of all, how you did it, but also why would somebody trust you? Like at such a young age, that's such a powerful opportunity. What do you think it like? What do you think it was? Like if you unpack that, because that was a lot of chance, like a lot of things were happening in your life that like allowed you to take that step. But there was something, and I'm maybe hindsight's 2020. Maybe you can identify it that allowed you to not only create the relationship with the person to, that allowed them to trust you to do this thing, to manage $25 million asset, but also succeed at that. Don't you already trust me just having known me for 30 minutes? I do trust you. Right. So my point is this. There is... But I don't know why. Right. But there is an innate understanding or... I believe it's about goodness and in who someone truly is, like who you really are as a human being. And I'm not saying what you do for a living or, or any of that. There's a sense, whether it's energy or intuition, whatever it is, that people can, you know, game sees game, like sees yeah. like. When you are around successful, good people, and my old boss, this boss in that situation, was a really good human. He was a great husband. He was a good dad. He was very successful in business. Like sees like, he saw me, and probably seeing me go through that really difficult situation where my heart got broken, mm. I was very vulnerable, right? He'd already seen me perform at a very high level in business. So he knew that I had the business acumen and that he could mentor me from, he had run companies before, so he could advise me yeah. as, you know, um, my mentor. But probably looking back on it, that moment of him seeing me crushed and knowing this girl is the real deal, she cares, you know, yeah. she's really sad. This is the kind of person that I want to be in business with as a partner. So, so taking that on, um, obviously that's a huge, huge responsibility. You, you handled it with grace. You were stressed out. How did, how did you handle this, you know, first time CEO co-founder role? D all of the above, (laughs) right? So one of the interesting things about being new at something is you approach it from your own vantage point of, I saw things totally different than anybody else did Mm -hmm. because I wasn't 50 years old. I didn't have 30 years expertise in this business, right? I had whatever it was, two years in in business in general. And so for me, I saw everything through a new lens of why have you been doing it this way? That doesn't even make any sense. That doesn't sound effective or efficient. No, let's change it and do it this way. 
So in so many ways, I made great decisions because of my lack of expertise. Mm. But there were many situations where I made horrible decisions. And one very specifically sticks out to me. I had a business manager. I'm not great on the like CFO. That's never going to be. I'm the revenue and operation side, strategy side. I'm not the person that counts the pennies. That's not, even to this day, like that's just not my vibe. Somebody else can always do that for me. I don't want to do that. I'm not great at it. So my business manager for this huge operation had a bad attitude. I didn't like her from day one. And so I knew I'd set my sights that I've got to replace this person. However, it wasn't like a, there was so many other things I had to do before I could get to that one problem. You know, I'm like, all right, handle this, this, and this first, and then you can go get rid of her and upgrade that person. Well, while I was fixing all these other things, She's quietly working in the background and problems start arising. Problems start arising. So I start, things are dripping out of her division to me. And I can see there's, and I knew it went back to her attitude. She just wasn't my yeah. person. So I, I'm like, this thing's escalating. I'm going to have to get rid of her. So I call my partner. I'm like, listen, I don't, I don't know what to do. You know, this is not my wheelhouse. I can't just fire this lady and jump in and fix it myself in any other area of that business. I could, I didn't feel confident in that arena. So I'm like, she's kind of got me. And he's like, don't ever let anyone get you. If they see you as weak, you're done, kid. I'm like, you're right. F it. I went in and blew <laughs> her out. And just from like a principal standpoint, I thought this is the right thing for me to do. And it's going to show everybody else that you're either with me or you're against me. And, you know, I'm going to make a, a mark from a cultural standpoint that, hey, this is the team. Get with the team. If you're going to be yeah. against us, get a new job. So I blew her out. And the it was a great idea to blow her out. It was a horrible idea to do it without someone to replace her, right? I didn't have Fair. anyone yeah. in the wings and I wasn't, I didn't have the capability. So knowing that, um, you know, I had to start looking. So I started at ground zero and in the interim, I had to do the job until I found somebody and I had no idea what I was doing. And I created a lot of headaches for myself. I want to just on that one particular point, just quick thing, because obviously that, that moment stuck out with you. And that was like the first, like super high tension person interaction you had to deal with in a company where you're firing somebody that's really shitting the bed with their job. Um, small business lesson to pull out of that. Where do you think, or when do you think you exit somebody out of the company because they really have no chance of ever performing, growing, upskilling as a human being versus when is the opportunity where you see a person like that and you actually could mentor them, could help them? What was that factor that you saw that was, no, she's not going to be good for the organization. There's no way to ever get this person to where we need her to be. That's about attitude. That's about values. That's about who a person is, not about skill set or experience or expertise, in my opinion. All day long, I'll take someone who's greener or doesn't have the expertise, but has that want and will and like fits with culture and is like a team player and, you know, yeah. and is a champion. I'll spend time to mentor and teach anybody or I'll hire someone in to bring them in so they can advance them. That's the most important thing. This lady had a bad attitude from the word go. And yeah. you can't fix a bad attitude, nor should you. And P.S., you're saving that other person when you say to them, you're not a great fit here. You'll be happier somewhere else. This is where we're going to shake hands and part, friends. I wish you the best of luck. That person will, what in the moment they might say, this is horrible, what's happening to me? It's going to be so much better for them when they go find their culture. And some yeah. someone out there is going to want them at their table. It's, it's, it's so interesting because anytime... I've let somebody go, or even I've been fired from something. It's like always a net positive. It's always a net positive, but it's like in the moment, emotions are high. You're not going to see it, but it's always net. Because if somebody, no one, nobody shows up to work and doesn't want to succeed. No. Nobody wakes up and is like, I want to be a fuck up today. Right. No one, no one says that. No. And they show up and they don't perform and they're like, okay, so maybe they don't 
forget how valuable they are to maybe someone else. So it's very scary to be fired, to be laid off, whatever. But it's very smart to figure out the values because it is like a, a skill versus will thing. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Keep, keep walking me down this, this, this timeline. So obviously you exit this company at a great valuation, huge multiple. That's a insane win for your first ever entrepreneurial gig. So what's next? So they had tied my hands, the company that acquired us. They were trying to force me to stay and run the operation for the new company, which, well, you I, did. which I was yeah. never going to be doing. Right. And what's so interesting from a business standpoint, business lesson here for anyone listening, if you want people to run through walls for you, if you want people to be as loyal and ever give them equity, even a small slice in your organization, because someone like me, I'd grown up poor. I didn't even know a person like me could get a chance to, you know, drive a value of $30 million yeah. and share in those profits. Granted, I wasn't a 50-50 partner, by the way. However, like I didn't even know that that type of money was an opportunity for me. And I believe anyone who truly has a big vision and wants to build a big company, give those key members a piece of action on your team and watch your team explode. Like I would have never worked so hard and, and cared so much unless I had been, you know, an equity partner in that so, organization. I know. And then, you know, it's funny how you have to align, you have to align the incentives, right? And then a company. So now you sell it to a group or whoever mm -hmm. bought it. They want to keep you on. You don't have equity. You don't have any reason to stick around. Zero. Which is honestly stupid of them because they should have negotiated that as part of the actual acquisition. But that's besides the point. Whatever. They didn't make a. Some people are greedy, though. They yeah. think that they're going to get you, force you to stay. Which is silly, but yeah, it's stupid. True. It never works out. And if you are in that position, like, please, like, know your worth and actually get equity in a company because there are companies that will, that will. give you equity. And yes. like. And your equity is negotiable. Yes. That's another, I didn't yeah. negotiate my equity. Another thing, a lack of experience. I just thought I'm lucky that he's giving me anything. So when you're young in your career, people take advantage of you like all the time, mm -hmm. especially if you're ambitious and you're bright and you're smart and you like put in those hundred hour weeks, like they will take advantage of you again and again and again and again as much as they possibly can. Truth. So, okay. So shitty, shitty situation. Know your worth. Okay. So they put yes. a non-compete on my partner so that he could not hire me, that we couldn't do another deal. So for- In that industry? In or, that industry for one year. And okay. that's all he did. That So his that was his industry. He's a smart guy. He so knows. He, that so he's, he's like, listen, let's yeah. let the thing run out. We'll be partners again. I'll buy another company somewhere and we'll just wait. Great. So I said, until then, he's like, take a take a few months off. I'm like, I don't want to. I, I, like, I like making money. Yeah. I want to work. I want to add value. Who should I work for? So he said, go to a publicly traded company. I have a friend who's the CEO. The company's huge. It's much larger than what you know we had. It's nationwide. Take yourself to the next level and like further this, you know, leverage that you now have now use this to go to the next level. Great. So I go down, I interview with the company and they say to me, well, we don't have like a huge opportunity like what you just had. We'll give you a small market. You show us what basically you got to come in here and prove yourself. You got to show us what you can do in one small market here in Naples, Florida. If you can do something similar to what you're describing yet again, like, you know, just taking yeah. advantage of a young girl coming in. Um, will give you a bigger chance. So I said, okay, take a step backwards to move forward. Easy enough. I can do that in my sleep. So I came and I turned their small market around and made it the number one market in the company. And Driving like, like multi-million dollars. It was insane. <laughs> it was insane. It was like six months. And so when I 
when I saw the numbers, I had far exceeded what my goals were. I thought now this is when you strike, like, while you've got all the leverage, right? Yeah, I, just, yeah. I, I created the turn. Yeah. Exactly. So I, and anytime you want to negotiate with somebody and you know, it's not going to be the other side's not going to be excited for it. Do it face to face, right? Don't do it over the phone. Anyone's easy to say no to in an email, a text or on a phone call, but I'm really hard to say no to in person. So I called the president of the company and I said, let's meet for lunch. We go to lunch and I just kind of start recapping what we agreed upon when I entered the company, what he wanted out of me, how I'd over delivered. And I'm like, so I'm sure we both feel really good about the results we're seeing. He's like, incredible how they're like, you're killing it. I'm so grateful you're here. You know, such a nice guy, really appreciative. I said, great. Well, actually, I'm here today to pitch you a position in the company that doesn't currently exist. I've taken a step back from the organization to look at where are we missing opportunity. What I've realized is what I've done in this one marketplace, they had, let's say, 30 marketplaces across the country. If we extrapolate that and, and implement it into the 30 marketplaces, that turns out to be, let's say, $100 million. Would you like to you know, increase revenue by $100 million over the next eight months instead of just by $10 million here? He's like, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> of course. But you know this. Anytime you're going in to pitch something new, different, there's risk. People have fears. Or, you know, they, they have all of their own concerns. We're going to lose it from this market. So anyway, he looks right at me. He's like, for right now, stay where you are. So I go back to work and immediately I start dialing for other positions. I'm like, F this. This You're guy's wasting your energy time here. Yeah, exactly. I'd proven what he had wanted me to. And he was not reciprocating, which. Yeah. He, so I felt like, OK, then th he's not being honest with me. So I find another big job in Boston and they make an offer and send it over to me. And I said, let me have one conversation before I sign off on anything. Just the right thing to do to my employer. I go back to lunch. Two weeks later, I sit down. I said, have you thought any further? He's like, nope, haven't. I'm like, great. Then this is my resignation. And he said, you're kidding me. I'll be right back. And he walks out of the restaurant. He's gone five minutes and he comes back in. And he said, I'd love to award you our newly created position of VP of sales for the country. And I said, where did you go? And he said, well, I had to call my father. I couldn't make that decision on my own. And I learned this powerful lesson in that moment. Never take a no from someone who can't tell you yes. Right. So I was sitting there thinking, oh, this is my fate. Like it's it's done. He never even had the ability to say yes to me. So always qualify, you know, who that decision maker is and who needs to be present in order to make a better decision. So I, I was promoted to um, VP of sales, then EVP, then chief revenue officer. During my tenure, we more than doubled the company's revenue and a market and declined incredibly well. Did you have equity yet, though? In the second co in this company you're building up, yeah. Well, this is a publicly traded company. I'd I'd so share like shares. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. I'm just yeah. I'm clarifying that you're actually yes. getting a piece of this. Yes. Okay. Nothing like before. I mean, no, listen. Of course. Of the course. reality is this: there are restrictions in publicly traded companies that you don't need to adhere to when you're in a private company. Of course, yeah. So from from a lucrative standpoint, like go with the private people. If you're looking just to make some good coin yeah. fast, it's a little bit slower. Um, in you know, when you're in a and larger less risk too. much because less risk, it's traditional. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we um, do incredibly well. And all of a sudden, the CEO that I've been working for for 14 years becomes ill and he elevates his daughter to replace him. And immediately I was fired. Really? Yes. Why? I'm well, I was told this is what she said to me. She said, well, as the new CEO, I no longer need a chief revenue officer, so I no longer need you. So that she is, that is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Clearly. Well, you should see what happened. The stock was trading. I, I believe the day I was fired was like at fifteen dollars. Yeah. Now it's a penny stock. And Get that's out. five years later. 
Oh and again, it's not all due to me. I'm sure she made a number of bad decisions along the way. But any but CEO that would ever verbalize, I don't need. I don't it. need anyone driving revenue for the company. That's a red flag. Well, that's a little bit of. A in my flag. opinion, she was a CFO. I was yeah. a CRO. So we were always running in our own lanes, kind of not yeah. working together. And there, in my opinion, I always felt she was jealous of me because the nature of the business. If you're the chief revenue officer, you're the one that's on the stages. You're the one that's addressing the team and the company. Yeah. She's at, back at corporate counting and the she money. deal with that. Clearly not. In, yeah. in my opinion, she's never verbalized yeah. it this way, but I, I just, my sense was again, back to women against women. Like there's a lot of situations in corporate America where the person sabotaging you is not a man. It's another woman. I was wondering why you spoke. I was wondering what the part of your life was that led you to that. Cause you've spoken about this concept and a lot of the stuff you put out, a lot of the talks you put together and I've heard it a lot. I've heard this a lot that women don't support women. I've heard it from my girlfriend. I've heard it from other professionals and whatnot. And it's really, it's really sad, actually. But, I mean, if you look for a mentor, you look for a peer, women look at a man who's very willing to help them grow in their career, very willing to help teach whatever they have to learn. So I was very curious as to what happened. So this is the story of what happened. Yes. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution, it's called 1Password. 1Password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now, and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC. Everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepassword.com slash Clary and get a two-week free trial. Let 1Password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepassword.com slash Clary for two weeks free.
I just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids, we all have families we want to take care of, and I personally check something off major on my to do list life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Okay, I get it. So, okay, so what's the lesson in this? Because this is like, it's a story, it sucks, but everyone listening is like, well, that's shitty. How would I deal with that? I got fired by my CEO. What could I do? A couple of things, you know, one, when people say to me, you know, what do you do when you see women bullying other women? Because it's something no one talks about. Yes, with Me Too movement, people start talking about, you know, sexual harassment. Somebody needs to speak out. If you're in any environment and you see a woman stabbing another woman in the back, call them out and say, not here. I'm not here for that. Like, you need to verbalize. That's not okay anymore to just talk mm. poorly about another person because she's a woman and you're jealous. That's embarrassing. And people need to be called out on their bad behavior. But the other thing I would say is that, you know, for me, getting fired was the jump off point for my entire career to move into work that I was destined to do, that is purposeful, that is mission driven, that is so much larger than what I was doing before. And I would have never thought to do it. Similar to the boyfriend cheating on me, I would have never thought, go take a chance and write a book. The only reason why I did is I had an 18 month non compete, non solicit, which meant I could not. Even after termination. Even after termination. Okay. I could not compete in the industry. I had 20 plus years expertise in. I had to start over somewhere as a beginner. So I had to make the decision. Am I going to roll the dice and bet on me? Or am I going to go try the aviation industry or the hotel business? You know, yeah. I'm going to start over somewhere as a beginner. I might as well roll the dice on me. So when you when you first built out like your your own brand, which is like that, that's the the book. That's the, the, the content you put out online. Like, I mean, you've written two books now. Um, you start to build a community. You start to build a community that's obviously people that, you know, everything you've spoken about up until this point in your, in your career, that really resonates with them. So I'm curious, when you start to build out a brand, what's the messaging? How do you start to build a community? How do you realize that, oh, I felt like I was treated like shit by my CEO, but there's like a whole bunch of other people here that are being treated in their own jobs and their own lives. And like, they don't have guidance, they don't have support. And that's who you're serving now, obviously. So walk me through that transition point in your life. How did you find out that this is the message you want to speak about? You want to speak about confidence. You want to speak about all these different subjects. You have it. How do you translate it into building a community? I had no idea. I didn't even know that's what I was doing. And that's what like were the, you doing at the beginning? So, so what happened actually is one year before I was fired, yeah. one year before that woman was promoted to CEO, I was struggling to attract talent and recruit for my industry because it was a very traditional industry and only older people wanted mm -hmm. to take sales jobs in my organization. So I thought, I can't keep chasing down one-to-one -one individuals. I don't have enough time in a day. I need to create floodgates to pull people towards me. And when I thought about that reverse engineering, 
I thought about what if I start creating content online to show up who I am as a leader, how I can mentor, advise, and develop people, my experiences and expertise around starting from nothing and making it to the top and how it's possible for anybody if they find the right leader. Mm -hmm. And then I'll start attracting swarms of young people to me. Then I can hire them in one full swoop, start you know um, developing them. So that was my strategy around launching a personal brand. I love it. And, and I love the origin worked. story of a creator too, because it's always different, right? Nobody, very few people jump into being a creator purposefully. Mm -mm. It's like you start putting out content, shit happens. I don't know, I'm having podcasts. I didn't, I was, a, I was a CRO in a tech company. I didn't, you know, grow up thinking I'm gonna start a podcast. Anyway, it's your story, go ahead. So it's so similar, it's yeah. so wild. Yeah. But it just goes to show life does not turn out the way that you think it should or could. Instead, it's about just owning those moments and being curious of like, okay, everything's uncertain right now. That means anything's possible. I've got to start looking for the opportunity. And so for me, I, you know, I built my initial community during that time. I was still with the corporation. Mm -hmm. When I got fired is when it exploded. I, I believe I had maybe, you know, 4,000 people in my community when um, I, I got fired. Well, I put up a post 24 hours after I got fired. No one was calling me. So I put up a post. I've just been fired. After 14 years of continuous advancement um, at blah, blah, blah media group, because <laughs> I never give them any props because they don't have any social media following. So I'm not going to let them access Good. mine or yours. So, you know, I said, I've just been fired. Um, if I've ever done anything to help you, I need to hear from you now. That post went viral and had millions of shares. It was crazy. And the cool thing was so many people called me and said, take that post down. You look pathetic. If anyone finds out really? you're fired, they're not going to want to hire you. And I did something smart in that moment. I checked in with myself and I thought, do you feel pathetic? And I thought, I don't. I didn't murder anyone. I didn't steal. I didn't do anything bad and treat people crappy. I was treated crappy. So I Googled, has anyone really successful ever been fired? Mark Cuban Billionaire, Oprah Winfrey, billionaire, J.K. Rowling, billionaire, uh, the Steve Jobs. Uh, the list goes on. And basically, anyone who's uber basically successful anyone. <laughs> has been fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I decided to reframe. I'm proud. I'm gonna rock getting fired. And the funny thing is, to this day, that's still how people know me on social media. Is you know the lady that got fired that it, you know was like really proud of it, who reframed it, and so that weird, difficult, challenging situation became this blessing that grew my community so quickly it was incredible and started that landed me on the elvis duran show and mm -hmm. halfway through that interview he looked at me and he's like obviously you're writing a book and i wasn't but because he had conviction and i saw him as so far ahead of me and so successful i said well obviously i am elvis and so in front of millions of people i held myself accountable and said i was going to write this book and then jumped on a plane and googled how do you write a book and it said just write and so that's what i did so when you so as you build out your brand um you you put yourself out there like super authentically, mm -hmm. which is really, at the end of the day, that's all it is. You didn't have a strategy. You didn't have a key to going viral. You had nothing except no. I'm just posting the shit that I'm dealing with in my life. Yeah. And then hopefully it resonates with somebody and guarantee that if it is something I'm going through, it's going to be something a lot of other people are going through as well. So you, so you wrote two books. You wrote Confidence Creator, Overcome Your Villain. Mm -hmm. Which one was the first one again? Confidence Creator. Okay. So walk me through, because it's so interesting, because your villain was so recent but you didn't write about overcoming your villain until later on. I needed space. I, I was know. still so scared of being sued. Every day, Scott, I used to wake up oh my God. fearful of being sued. I thought this late. It's Why? very different. When you're running, when you're in the C-suite of a large organization and, and you have some experience with this, a large public trade organization, you have an arsenal of attorneys that are just sitting by with nothing to do other than what you tell them, right? Yeah. 
when suddenly you're fired and you're a lone man, you're a lone wolf, you don't have anyone. So I knew if she wanted to come for me, she has everybody's already sitting there on sale. It doesn't cost her one new dime yeah. for me to go hire a team of attorneys that could bury me. Yeah. So from a strategic standpoint, this is but this is I wasn't aware. I was living in fear. That was my fear. Right. And, and the math worked in my head like this makes sense. What I didn't realize is this lady was so afraid of the truth coming out of what had really gone on. She was hiding. She was more scared than I probably was, right? It's so funny. But I didn't works. know yeah. I didn't know that at the time. I was just looking at it from the lens of how I was afraid. I wasn't ever thinking she was afraid. Cut to right now. Lady's never sued me. Lady's never done anything because she wants this to go away. She doesn't want this out there. She doesn't, she doesn't want, want anyone there. to know any of this happened. And she probably prays every night that I just disappear, you know. Or lose interest in this conversation. Or don't bring up her name in a Ever. podcast in front of millions exactly. of people, right? Because right. that looks like, makes somebody look like an asshole. Yeah. Okay. So confidence creator. Um, what was what was the theme? What was the thing you're trying to teach over in that book? So that first book was a compilation of my lowest moments and how I leverage them to create confidence within myself and how the reader could too. So we, we spoke through some of these lowest moments as well, but there's some other others I'm sure. Like let's oh go through some of the there's so the, many the worst ones. There's so many, but you know what I like about that book is I had never written a book before. I had zero experience and expertise. I hired an editor halfway through who had written 19 books and had, you know, was able to advise me and help give me a framework for how to structure the book. But it's just like a raw me just creating content, hoping to show readers how they can create confidence in their life from stopping apologizing to accepting compliments to giving yourself, you know, a 30 day challenge with actionable steps each day, like the just mapping out exactly what I had done during that time I got fired to, until I bounced back, which really took me about a, about a month. And so I wanted everybody to have that same blueprint. And what's so crazy, my second book is with HarperCollins Leadership. I had probably 200 editors on that second book. There were so many people involved to this day. I have more reviews of my first book. It, it's so wild how people almost can sense how raw that first one was, yeah. that it was like almost more me. I get great reviews. It's, you know, both, both books did very well, but like yeah. I, it, it's more like personal almost from the first book. I just want to take a quick second and tell you about one more podcast you have to check out if you're a fan of Success Story. It's Sales Evangelist, hosted by Donald Kelly, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Each week, Donald interviews the world's best sales experts, successful sellers, sales leaders, and entrepreneurs who share their strategies to succeed in sales right now. He brings on Jeffrey Gittimer, Jill Conrath, Bob Berg, Guy Kawasaki. They share actionable insights and stories that will encourage, challenge, and motivate you to hustle your way to more revenue for your business. If you're somebody who's looking to take off in your sales career, if you are an entrepreneur who's looking to sell more, I think all of us are, go listen to Sales Evangelist wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I wanna, for people that are listening, please teach over some of the things from that first book. So you just mentioned two things that I'm like, shit, I do that. So I don't know if it's a Canadian thing. I think that's a stereotype where I, you always apologize, right? So I always say sorry for the dumbest shit. And then I hate, I hate compliments. So two of the three things that you just mentioned, I'm like, oh God, that's not good. Well, let's uh, let's dive into both of those because they're very, very common. And yeah. typically with women, and I don't know, Canadian, it could be a cultural thing too, but specifically women apologize for everything, at least here in the US. And for me, it was working out at Barry's boot camp is where I noticed that I was doing this. I'd be on the treadmills, half the class was on treads, and I'd be killing it. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm talking myself up. I'm like, girl, you are killing it. I'm so proud of you. Blah, blah, blah. You know, my self-talk was really positive. The minute we'd hit the floor and you have to run and grab your weights, 
big guys would bump into me by accident, but I find myself, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And suddenly I'm on the floor and I'm like not feeling powerful. And I had to say, hey, pause, Heather. Wait a minute, why are you apologizing to them? So my first tactic was I gave myself a seven day challenge. I will not apologize to anyone for anything for seven days. I will just say, excuse me. Cause that was really where it started was berries. So I would not apologize. And I would just say, excuse me, excuse me. And then that became easier. And I was like, okay, now I just need to make this as my new regular. I don't say sorry anymore. I say, excuse me. So then I decided to go to the next level. How could I reframe it? When I decided to stop making it about me, when I'm saying I'm sorry, it's all about Heather. Maybe I'm gonna start making it about everybody else. Well, then I can thank them for their patience, thank them for their understanding. Thanks for waiting for me. Instead of saying, sorry, I'm late. Yeah. So make it about how can you be grateful and, and show gratitude towards others instead of being selfish about yourself. And once I made that reframe, yeah. it was easy to, to implement. Because I don't even think now, even when I say it, it's not even a genuine. Like, of course not. not. It's you're not habit. You're just saying it because it's the word that pops into your head. So you believe, and I actually, I don't not believe this because I, I think that I've had to work on myself as like being too much of a people pleaser. I think a lot of people have that. Not everybody. I think enough people have that problem where they want to please everybody and they want everybody to be happy and they don't realize that like not everybody has their best interest in mind either. Mm -hmm. So, but if you say sorry all the time, you believe that that actually starts to chip away at your own self-worth. It does. You're putting yourself beneath other people. You're blaming yourself, mm. essentially. You're accepting blame for something that you didn't even do. You're putting yourself beneath others. I believe we're all meant to be on a level playing field. So we need to take people off of pedestals and we need to stop putting ourselves beneath other people. What was the reaction when you, what was how you felt about yourself? Also, how was the reaction of everyone around you when you sort of change how you communicate? Oh, it's like a word ninja. When you start showing up late to things, you're like, thank you so much, everyone, for waiting for me. Let's let the meeting begin. Everyone's like, oh, girl, go. You just own that. Or someone's like, hey, um, I'm out on vacation, blah, blah, blah. And you respond to them. I appreciate your situation with vacation. However, can you get back to me? But like, I'm not apologizing to people. I'm not making excuses for yeah. people. I'm just, I'm kind of being grateful and owning it. It's this really powerful way to show up as the best version of you blamelessly. Why does, why does... Accept, not accepting compliments play into this as well. Oh my gosh, this is a huge one. And this one took me a while to figure out. I never thought out. about this before, but I've always known that I hate, I hate compliments. Well, I don't take them well. You're not going to like this. So I know I won't like it, but I'm learning, whatever. I'm, I'm improving. <laughs> so I, I didn't realize this either. When I was younger, people would always say to me, wow, your eyes are so pretty or your blue eyes. Like I would always get compliments on my eyes and I would dismiss it right away. That's my parents or yeah, it's good genetics or I could never... Just be, oh, thank you so much. And someone pointed out to me, you know, when you speak like that, you made me feel bad about saying something I was generally trying to give you a, a compliment about, but you, you probably didn't think you deserved it either, mm -hmm. did you? And when that was highlighted to me, I paused again and said, wow, not only did I not make myself feel better and grateful for someone giving me a comment, I made them feel worse for giving one. That's that's not making the world a better place, right? Yeah. Like This is yeah. like a double negative. So I challenged myself that I'm going to next time, even if it's uncomfortable, best I'm going to get out is I'm going to say thank you. And then I'm going to move on. Like I can do that. So I focused on that at first. Like when someone says, hey, your eyes are really pretty. Thank you. And then move on. And so then I got to a point where I'd done that for a couple weeks. I'm like, 
okay, it doesn't feel uncomfortable anymore. Okay, now I can actually have a conversation with someone about it. Like, oh, wow, thanks so much. You know, I used to feel really uncomfortable when people would say things like that to me, but that was so sweet of you to take a moment and come over and say something kind to me. And it's very genuine. Thank you. You know, so then I, I would start understanding. So then someone would say something. Wow, that was so special how you did this or this. Thank you so much for highlighting that. You know, like I started showing up as a better version of me, which made other people feel better about taking the moment to do something that was kind and thoughtful. And I thought that's who I really want to be. Like, that's how I want to show up. And the more I did it, the more it wasn't uncomfortable anymore. And now I can't fathom when I give someone a compliment and they react the way I used to. I'm like, yeah. oh, whoa, whoa, hang on. Hey, you are a good person. You deserve to be able to process a compliment, you know, in your day. I I want you to know I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm being genuine. Can you receive it from me that way? Yeah. And I know it feels uncomfortable at first because I lived it too. You know what? I'm thinking through I'm thinking through this right now. And I think a lot of it has to do with not total lack of self-love, but like there's some level of lack of self-love that's included in that because I think about compliments and in my mind, I'm like, well, I know when I've done something good and I know when I've screwed up. So if I've done it good, like I don't need to hear it from someone else. Like I'll be aware of like when I kill it, but it's like you almost just feel like you have to navigate this world on your own. Mm. You almost just feel like you have to, I don't know, that's the way I feel at least. Like if someone tells me a compliment, I already know I did good, but I, I definitely know when I screwed up. And it's like, good is like, okay, fine. Like, but I have more to do now. I have more good stuff to do. I have more good work to do, whatever it is. So it's like almost like you don't take a moment and appreciate yourself and celebrate yourself. Yeah, we got to celebrate all the wins, even the small ones. But then it ends up manifesting in actual confidence. So it's like, it's not just, it's not just like, okay, if you dismiss all the things that you do that are good, you think you're doing it because, oh, it's not important to celebrate these small things about me, whatever, but then ultimately it could impact your performance. In the, of course, right? Because yeah. you're not going to be the most confident version of exactly. yourself. Exactly. Totally. I love that. What was the last thing? You mentioned three things. One more thing, and I want to go on to the next book. <laughs> uh, what, what, what was the other? Oh, I was talking about a 30-day plan. So yeah. one of the things that I found with getting fired was a lot of people say it's like, what's your life vision or your 10-year plan? When you get fired or you face life and you've been cheated on and you break up with your spouse, you get mm-hmm. divorced. Looking too far in the future seems really daunting in those moments because everything's uncertain. So for me, I'm like, okay, how can I make this tighter and more tangible? So creating a 30 day plan, I literally wrote out 30 boxes on a white piece of paper. And I thought, this is something I can do. And I remember saying my confidence is at a one right now. At the end of this month, it's going to be at a 10. Like, so I wrote down what is my goal, just like weight loss or anything else that someone's going to do, right? Like, where am I currently and where am I going? What does that vision look like? And I remember I had this life-size cutout of me at my house and I'm so in this red, amazing dress and I look super confident. And I used to use this in case I wanted to get a meeting with somebody and they wouldn't return my phone calls. I'd send them a life-size cutout of me and I would always get, I'd always get a response. No shit. (laughs) So- There is a business purpose there, but I pulled that image out and I put it like right in my living room because I wanted to see it every day. This is me in a really confident moment. I can bring, I know what it looks like. I can bring it back again. Right. And again, that might be in your training or in your relationship or at work. It doesn't matter where it is. Just like visualize what does confident look like on me? That's where I'm going. I'm coming for you. Even though I was not anywhere near there on day one. And then I started tracking what are the action steps I'm taking every day. Like you got to do something, you got to show up. And then I started tracking. This was interesting because I didn't know this was going to happen. 
the surprises and unknowns that started showing up that I could have like landing on the Elvis Duran show. I didn't know that was going to happen. And if that happened, what else could happen? Landing on the Gary Vee show, you know, getting Steve Harvey, like writing the book, all these crazy things I could have never imagined the day I got fired. And that just made me more excited, gave me more momentum, which then furthered my confidence, which then furthered me to take more action, which kept building and building from there. One thing that you have mentioned, which I think is also important, is that confidence ebbs and flows. Totally. So I think this is also, Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything, and your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock, fingerprint. Tap, I'm inside. And honestly, I also feel way safer. It's got this awesome built-in camera. So whether it's a package delivery or late night Uber order, I see exactly who's there right from my phone. There are no more mystery knocks. And the best part, this thing was such a breeze to set up. There's no wires. There's no drilling. Uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees. So if you are done fumbling with your keys, because I definitely am, search for Eufy Video Lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Your front door, your sanity. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much, Indeed, for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Whenever you're trying to get somebody from point A to point B, I think it's super important to like give them the agency to understand that it's not always going to be an uphill every single day. No. If you're doing this 30-day plan or whatever, 
Like, there's going to be days where confidence tanks. There's going to be days where shit hits the fan. There's going to be days where you say sorry to somebody, whatever it is. But, like, don't let that derail you either. No, you have to give yourself grace knowing yeah. there's going to be pitfalls. And that's just all part of it. But that doesn't shake us. That doesn't deter us. We stay focused on that goal and keep moving forward. I love that. Okay. So now we move a little bit forward. You're building out your career, your brand. Now you finally write this book about this CEO, CFO that fired you. <laughs> so so now you're trying to, and I mean, the, the, the theme from the book is fire your villain. Yes. So walk me through what this means. What does this mean for you? What, why did you write this book? Why did you feel even years later you wanted to still like relive this moment? Because I didn't want to feel fearful anymore. And I write about in the book, fear actually, I choose to see fear as a green light that means go and go faster, right? Like now that feeling of fear used to stop me from everything yeah. and I would treat it like a child would go home and hide and, and pray no one finds you, right? Where now I reframe fear as that means, oh, that's a signal, Heather, we gotta move into this faster. And so because I had struggled so much when I got fired from shame, fear, uncertainty, all these things, I started realizing I received thousands of DMs from people telling me they felt the same way when they got divorced, when they got cheated on, when they got fired, when they got password for promotion, that this was actually normal in many people's lives. Maybe not in everyone, but a lot of people felt the same way. And if I could leverage my story and the tactics that I implemented in my life to help me leapfrog over those challenging moments mm. so that other people could do the same, then that's what I'm here to do. What do you think allowed you... When, when you were fired, you handled it very gracefully. You were quote unquote fine. I mean, you built out, you know, you already had a little community. You sort of doubled down on that. But a lot of people that are fired don't always rebound so quickly, so easily. What do you think the difference is between somebody that can be fired, hit like, you know, rock bottom, quote unquote, and still be okay versus somebody who hits rock bottom and stays there for way too long. Well, listen, I'm not a doctor, right? So I don't know. There are some people that maybe they have PTSD, like some people mentally, yes, and I don't ever want to gloss over like, a, no, yeah. that is real. Like some people get depressed, right? Yeah. And if that happens to you, you need to go get help. You need a doctor. Some people need medication. What? And I, no shame for any of that. But wherever you are, like, you have to ask for help. Raise your hand and say, like, this isn't okay. Sitting around in my house crying every single day at you know for for more than a few days. That's not okay. You need to get help and get out of that. I'm grateful. I didn't have the. I mean, I was sad. I was in shock for but sure. There's no clinical. I didn't have a like, clinical yeah. diagnosis of depression yeah. or anything else. So you know, I was able to pick myself up. I held myself accountable publicly. That's reverse engineering accountability. And for me, that really works. I, I did the same thing when I wanted to write my second book, but I was like, oh, I'm being lazy. Why am I not getting this done? I posted, I've got a new book coming out. I can't wait for you to read it. And then I got bombarded with messages. When is it coming out? What's the title? And that forces me to say, I got to serve these people. I got to get moving, right? So you need to know yourself on some level. What What is it going to be that's going to help push you over that hump? For me, it was putting that post up that first day, which really started the whole process. And I just knew, listen, I likened it to getting divorced. If no one knows you're divorced, no one's going to ask you out. So you need to raise your hand and say, I'm suddenly single. I got to yeah. let people know I'm divorced. Getting fired is no different. No one knew I was fired. There was no big news announcement that went out the day that it happened. I need to raise my hand and say, I've been fired. I'm ready to go to work and, and find other opportunities who can help me, you know, make that happen. The, 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 so all of this is like this, this, I'm trying to think of the best word for it. So you're, you're going through this process. 
mentally to get over this like really traumatizing point in your life. And it, it has to do with putting yourself out there, creating accountability, all this stuff. But what is there anything else that allows you to get to the point where like you have fired your villain in your head? So you're doing all these steps. So what's the point where you like close the book and you're like, I fired the villain? I mean, gosh, that's like a deep question because the it most goes on important, for a while. well, it can go on forever. And yeah. the most important villain you're ever going to fire is the one between your own two ears, in my opinion, right? Like that's, that's where the negative self-talk mm. comes. That's, you have more thoughts in a day than any conversation you have with anybody. Like it's really down to you. However, I've learned it's easier to tackle that villain when I get rid of the ones that are around me, because if they're around me, they're feeding the one within me and I'm never going to get out of that. When Do you mean like actual people or you mean thoughts influences what do you mean i mean when i was working side by side with people yeah. that would smile at me and stab me in the back every chance i got those were villains in my life right and when i worked with people like that the negative inner thoughts that i had were amplified times 100 because they're just feeding helping to feed and grow that negativity within my own mind once i removed all of them from my life i created opportunity and space for positive people to start showing up when i was surrounded with positive people that were my champions those negative thoughts stopped. They certainly got down to a much lower level. And then I was able to get clear and say, oh, I need to get rid of the rest of these inside. Okay, that makes sense. And one thing that you also do, and this this ties back to confidence before, but it's also playing into firing your villain. How do you run these confidence campaigns? You have confidence campaigns that help you, again, solve for this. So what does this actually mean? Okay, so I was in the advertising business for 25 yeah. years, media, right? So I... My job was to drive revenue. That means I would go meet with, you know, um, GE and talk to them about ad campaigns to sell their newest dishwasher. I'm yeah. making it up, right? So one of the things that I learned, I became very proficient in being successful and helping people create strong ad campaigns. Well, you need to have a great call to action. You need to have a jingle that people, it's going to get into people's mind that they're not going to be able to forget you, right? You need to be, when you couple an audio message with a visual, it's much more powerful and impactful. I just used all of these steps that I had learned through creating ad campaigns for customers. Mm -hmm. And I created an ad campaign for myself. I talked to you a little bit about this. I was working side by side with a CFO who didn't like me. She wasn't overtly in my face. She was covertly and passive aggressive, kind very of? passive aggressive, very behind the scenes, very much stab in the back. That made it more challenging. I'm a very outgoing person. So when I did confront her a couple of times, hey, I feel like something's wrong. You're not responding to my email. It's, it feels difficult to work with you. Did I do something to upset you? Do you can we clear the air? And she smile. No, all's fine. And so I didn't know how to fix this problem. And I never thought, remove yourself from this environment. You're at the wrong table. You're sitting with people who don't support you and aren't, aren't encouraging you. They're trying to sabotage you. So I stayed in an environment where someone was sabotaging me. And it was just, it was eroding at my confidence in a very silent. Because you feel like you're going crazy. You feel like you're going crazy. Yeah. And you just don't feel as good about yourself. Because you know why? I knew somewhere down deep I needed to leave. But I never pulled the trigger and I didn't do it. So every day that I'd show back up at work and see some other BS that was going on, mm -hmm. I felt worse about myself. And so I became a B-rate version of myself. I started thinking if I dim my light a little bit, maybe to allow her to shine a little bit more. And that got in my head, right? So all these horrible, dimming your yeah. light's never going to yeah. make the world a more positive place, right? That is never the answer. So I was doing all the things that I innately knew were wrong in hopes I could impact how she felt about me. You can't make someone feel positive about you, right? Yeah. But I was just in, not in a good headspace at the time. Cut to, I decided, hey, Heather, this is out of control. Like, what are you doing? You need to change this. And so that's when I had this coming to meeting with myself. I said, run an ad campaign for yourself, about yourself. 
and start boosting your own confidence. And so that's what I did. I My call to action was fear is a green light that means go and go faster. I created the vision, which was that life-size cut out of me. I married it with um, the I Am Kendrick Lamar song, which is like, I love myself. Right? Like I, I did all the same things I would do for my clients and customers. I did it for me and I played it on repeat seven to 10 times a day because frequency sells and ingrains in your mind. And so I would focus on this. I would own my mantras every day. I am confident. I am powerful. I am good enough. Like I went back to the basics. I started writing on the bottom of my shoes. I can, I will. Like I really, I put the work and the effort in to something that I don't think people necessarily think about every day. Like how am I working on my confidence today? I I did. I don't think many people do. No, I don't think they do. But because if you really get literal and focused on it, you can do it. Anyone can do it and I definitely did it so luckily for me I did that about a month before she fired me and thank goodness I had been working on my confidence I was a much more confident version of myself when I went in when she fired me and she was rude and you know all smiles and laughing when she was firing me and one of the things I've learned is never react only respond and when you're in a difficult situation you need to take a breath and pause but when you react you're allowing someone else to control you. And so I wouldn't let her control me. And I was able to pause and have grace and smile and say, you know, if you have nothing else to say to me, I, yeah. I'll be leaving. And and I handled myself with a lot of confidence and grace in that moment, which I'm really proud of. You know what I think? So smart that you work on this actively, because I think actually with confidence, just to your point that you just made, I think what a lot of people do is they always want to be more confident. Everybody wants to be more confident but they only ever test themselves when they get in the arena and in a high tension conversation or an argument and they they measure, okay, well, I didn't screw that one up too much and that's now my new measure of confidence. But it's like, the only way I can equate that to is if you like stepped on for like an NBA all-star game and you didn't practice all season or play any games. And then like, that's how you measure your performance. No. Because you don't put yourself in situations where you're actively trying to learn and grow. And this is like, not just confidence. This is anything that is like a soft skill. People just kind of, flippantly do it whenever they're asked to do it, but they never practice doing it. Right. I love this. Um, I want to ask, because now, you know, as you tell me this story, when we first started, we're speaking about women supporting women. And some of your story really resonates with me because I hear stories of other women executives that are dealing with things. I'll give you a story. Obviously, we'll not name names, but this, I want you to give advice in the situation. So I have a, a really good friend. She's very, very successful, multiple exits. She sold two, three, three companies. So she's thinking about going into a new president role. Um, and there's the founder of the company. He has uh, a chief strategy officer, and then she'd be the president. Mm-hmm. And the chief strategy officer is that passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. She's been there for 15 years. Mm-hmm. She's like, like everything you just said, but she's not like explicitly being an asshole. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you can tell that she doesn't want the new woman in there. And it's really sad because it's like a great opportunity. So what do you do? Do you walk away before? Because like right now we're in like the, I'm not even sure if I want to do this stage. That's where she's at. She hasn't taken the job yet? She hasn't taken it yet. She needs to have a one-on-one conversation with the chief strategy officer. Yeah. That's the only way to deal with it. And but but what if she is gaslighting? What if she is passive aggressive? 
then you can't work side by side with that person. Then it's then it's up to you. I would go in and have the conversation with the person first. Yeah. Give that person the benefit of the doubt, right? Yeah. Sometimes we only maybe the person's scared and jealous. I, we don't know, but maybe once this woman calls around and says, "Hey, I, I just want to clear the air. I feel like you're not excited about me being here. Yeah. Have I done something to offend you? Can is there a way you think you and I could work together and flourish together, or do you think that there this is something that we that we can't you know stitch stitch together work out? Fine. Let that person empty their face glass. Face to face, one face on one. Face to face, yeah. one on one. Don't do that in front of somebody else. Then what that person empties their glass and they say, you know what? I didn't realize I was being an asshole. You know what? I'm intimidated by you. Thank you for bringing this to my t-. Like it could be a million different things or it could be, I don't know what you're talking about. And if it, if that's yeah. it, then we know that person is not going to change. They are going to keep this, you know, this is the culture of what's acceptable. And if that person's thriving and succeeding at that level, mm-hmm. that's what's accepted in that organization. That is not the organization for you. Yeah, no, I think that's really good advice for people that are sort of looking where they want to spend their time, which jobs they want to take on, because there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of support for people that are in shitty roles to begin with. And like, how do you navigate this? But like, I think if we just do a little bit of education before you even take the job, like it would save a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, because this is the one thing that I try and sort of get into people's heads. As much as you wish the world was a nice place, there's a lot of really not good people out there. So you can always try and find a way to work in an organization and make it work. And you hope that they're going to look at the world the same way you look at the world and they're going to be great people and they're going to be, you know, everybody's going to be supportive. But the reality is, is that that's not every company and that's not every person. So in my opinion, you don't waste your time with companies that are like that, as opposed to trying to like fit, like, what is it? The square peg into the round hole, go somewhere where you're appreciated and look for those signs too. Of people that are shitty leaders, shitty, this is not just a woman leader. This is just shitty leaders across the board. Obviously, don't fucking work there because it's not going to be fun. It's going to be uphill. It's going to be a pain in the ass. It's going to be the worst years of your life. And like, life is short. Life is short. Find an industry that's a growth industry. Find yeah. people that you love, that love you, that want you to be there, that are positive and that share values and culture with you. That is key. Yeah. Okay. So you built a community. Who's in your community now? Who is the person that you try and teach over to, you know, help? What's the what's the problems that they're dealing with? Oh my gosh, it's funny. So you sound like Harper Collins leadership. They're like, I w- what is the one person? And this is what's interesting is anyway. I've found <laughs> I don't have one person. I have 60%, 65% of my audience is female. The, uh, the rest, it's almost half half is male. HarperCollins hated that. They're like, no, just speak to just the woman, just the 40-year-old. No, because then I have this this section of audience that just graduated college and is looking for career advice. Then I have the section of audience that's 40 to 55 that just got fired, that needs to reinvent themselves or their kids just left and they need to reinvent themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, so I have these different pockets. What I would say the commonality mm-hmm. amongst my audiences, no matter where they are, their age, demographic, whatever, is that they all want to get better. And they're just looking for like, what are some of the things that I could do to get better, to get out of this situation that's difficult or to enter into this uncertain one that I don't know how to navigate? What are some of the things that I can do to get better? So they're they're looking to develop themselves. If you had to pick one myth about confidence that you see perpetuated too often, what would that myth be? The myth is that people are afraid if they work on their confidence, they're going to become arrogant. There is nothing more polar opposite than that, meaning I used to be arrogant when I was in my early 20s. The reality is I was so insecure. To truly be arrogant means you are not confident at all. To constantly boast about yourself, to constantly be trying to yell over other people, to silence everyone else, 
that's because you're afraid to be seen as a fraud. You're afraid for someone to challenge you when you truly are confident. Mm. You're like, oh my gosh, wow, thanks for pointing that out that I was wrong there. I, I, I totally appreciate that. It's it's the polar opposite. Uh, when somebody comes to you and they're trying to define villains in their own life, what are the things they should look for? Mm. Well, you already know. Number one, I'll tell they you, all, they all everybody know. knows. You just don't want to actually deal with it, right? Yeah. It goes back to sunk cost fallacy and some of these other issues. You've been at this job so long, and I hate to acknowledge that he actually is an asshole. And he's never had my back and never gives me the promotion and says he's going. That's your villain then, bro. Like, deal <laughs> with it. Own it. Stop making excuses for other people. See people for who they are. Doesn't mean they're an evil person. Doesn't mean they're a villain. They're a villain in your life at this point. And you, you can't move forward and be live your best life having a villain running side by side with you. Uh, speak to me just briefly, because I think that's a really good point about the sunk cost fallacy. Because I think that if people don't know what that means or what that is, and they're in a job right now and explain it all, how it like, let's talk about it for relationships, talk about it for jobs, let's talk about it for friendships. What is sunk cost fallacy? How do you sort of figure out when you're in this shitty situation that is going on too long and you don't, you shouldn't be in it anymore, but you stay in it? Yeah. So, I mean, the best example I can give is when I was back in corporate America, I worked for the same company for 14 years. As I mentioned, I was not happy. I wasn't growing. I wasn't thriving. I was constantly behind closed doors, complaining to people in my inner circle that he, my boss keeps saying he's, I'm going to be added to the board. And then I'm not green lighted. And I don't know why I keep being told I'm getting another bonus. And I was constantly complaining about these things that were making me upset. However, I wasn't pulling the trigger and leaving. And in my mind, and this is a sunk cost fallacy piece, I was thinking, but I've been here for 14 years. I've done, it's far beyond the point that you can yeah. actually up and leave now, Heather. Like, you've invested too much. This idea that it's beyond what the point where you can rip the Band-Aid and leave. That is wrong. Sunk cost fallacy is not, a, fallacy being the key word here, actually ripping the Band-Aid and leaving, no matter if it's been one month or 10 years, that's irrelevant. Yes, the longer you stay, the harder it's going to be to leave. There is no doubt about that. But if five years ago was the right time, today is the only time. Like, rip the Band-Aid and go. And for me, getting fired ended that myth, right, that, you know, I'd been there too long, that I can't leave anymore. I've created too many relationships. I have too big of a job. Whatever it is, whatever lie you're telling yourself, but that ended up being the biggest gift possible for me. And then, and we were talking about this off air, once I saw that clarity of, wow, I was lying to myself that I'd been there too long, that, you know, I, I had stayed past the window. It was too late to leave. That's when I started seeing my relationship, that my personal yeah. relationship the same way. It became very clear. I was doing the same thing at work that I was doing it in my personal relationship at home. I had been, you know, too close to this person's kids and it was beyond the point where I couldn't leave anymore and that was the wrong thing to do and selfish. And no, that wasn't true. And once I saw that I was thriving from a business standpoint, I thought, you know what? It's probably time to pull a trigger in my personal life too. And yes, it was very hard to do and it was scary and all these other things. And now here I am, you know, years later, I'm so grateful I did. This is, um, it's very interesting because this whole confidence piece, it, there's so much self-help out there, mm -hmm. but like confidence seems to be like the, the crux of it, like the most important cornerstone in building out a better life, a better work life, better personal life. It's like the, the trickle down effect of building out that confidence extends to everything in your life. Confidence is the one thing that changes everything. That's why you speak about it. I oh. mean, <laughs> it really, it really does. There's two other strategies that I, that you've spoken about that I want to, that I want to just outline for the audience. Mm -hmm. Um, the first one I want to understand is the BAK method. Mm -hmm. What is that? So that's my second book, overcome your villains. Um, the book is structured in three parts. A mentor of mine years ago said, you need to distill a simple process that has 
behooved you and allowed you to be successful in your career and your life. Like, what is that magic that you do? And so I sat for a long time really thinking about it. Like, what is it that I do? And it boiled down to my beliefs, mm -hmm. the actions that I take and the knowledge I surround myself with. And so that's back. And, and this three-step process is really what's afforded me all the success that I've had in, in my life and will continue to because it never gets old and it always pays. Taking a look at first and foremost, what are the beliefs that I'm holding in this moment? Are they even true? Like, is there any basis to any of it? Because typically what you're going to find out is, no, it's a complete lie. And you know what? We just need to stop, pause and get real mm -hmm. with ourselves. Right. But, you know, sometimes it's we're in a difficult situation externally. And so we're talking to ourselves negatively, which is creating negative beliefs. So really just taking a moment to address and assess your beliefs and rewrite the ones that aren't benefiting you and drop the ones you know that are harming you. Step two is take immediate action. Once you've fixed your beliefs, even in that moment, just in that day, whatever, take immediate action to move yourself forward. Doesn't have to be huge, can be a baby step, but you've got to take some type of action to move yourself closer towards your goal, whatever that may be for yourself. And then step three is continually surround yourself with knowledge that's going to keep you centered on positive beliefs, positive movement forward. So for me lately, even on my way over to meet you today, I've, I've been listening whenever I'm in the car, I'm listening to Dr. Joe Dispenza's yeah. Audible books, right? For, for me, that's where I am at in my life right now that I need to hear that messaging again and again, like how I'm showing up every day is impacting the decisions that I make. Sometimes I forget, I lose sight about it, right? Like, and you'll get caught up in whatever headache you're dealing yeah. with or focus on something that you're trying to resolve and really, you know, just lock in on that. And what his work reminds me right now is hang on, take a step back from it. And instead let's start showing up as that best version of us when this whole thing is solved. And like, how do I feel and, and seem then? And what are the things I'm looking forward to? So I, surround myself with that knowledge on the regular. I've, you know, it's so funny. I've heard so much good about him and his work. Like so many of the people that teach, I mean, like you have community, you teach over, you, you, you mentor a whole bunch of people, but then he's like the teacher of teachers. And I've never really consumed his stuff, but I've heard his name so, so, so often. Oh, my, there's so many teacher of teachers, and that is going to continue to evolve as we just age and yeah. people age. You know what I mean? It's like th these things just keep evolving and changing. And one of um, it's actually a board member on the board that I'm on. The, he was the individual that nominated me to the board. He said to me, Heather, in any moment, someone can be the mentee or the mentor, and then it can toggle and switch back. And it should toggle and, and it switch should. back. And it should. And for someone who's really confident, you're going to be fine with either role. I love that. The second thing that I want to bring out, um, you have a methodology to overcome challenging situations. And you say you have 100% success rate deploying this methodology to overcome challenging situations. What is this methodology? Wait, where did you get this one from now? I'm this was to... from one of the podcasts. I, I, I listen to like six podcasts about you. Oh my gosh, I have to stop and think. A methodology to overcome challenging situations. Um, I, don't, I have no idea which one this could be. I literally have like 400 episodes of my podcast. Um, I have to think, what could it be? I wonder, I wonder if it was a methodology with difficult conversations. Do you it think? could have been. I think it was actually. Yeah, it, yeah. Could, it, it could have been. It, because I've been asked about that a lot lately. Like, how do you go into a difficult conversation? Number one, not apologizing, yeah. you know, for taking, Let's stick with that. <laughs> taking emotion out of it is yeah. another key element. Um, I learned very young in business, like, you know, emotion has no place in baseball or at work. Yeah. Like, right. So just drop the crying, drop the accelerating your voice and start thinking of it as how can I find peace? How can I get centered? And how can I not let others control me when I react? I'm letting others control me. I'm going to stay calm. This is a great example. A friend of mine gave to me yesterday. 
she has a vendor that she's been working with and they got on a call together. She's very upset about their work, right? And so it's going to be a very difficult conversation. She knows going in. And so they end up on a Zoom call, closest thing they could do to in person. They're all on there. And one of the vendors starts coming in hot right at her and being very aggressive and very defensive. And she's taking a deep breath. And she said, I'd like to say something. I'm sitting here today as your customer trying to communicate how I feel my experience has been thus far in hopes that we can rectify things and move forward. I'm not certain that everyone here on this call feels that same way. I'm going to make a suggestion. How about we give this call 24 or 48 hours and we regroup when we're all feeling a little bit more calm and centered. She never raised her voice, mm. stayed completely calm, didn't allow anyone to control her. And immediately the other vendor said, I think that's a great idea. Right? She was able to diffuse a really negative. So often we get in these and we're, I can be louder and I can I can speak over yeah. someone or I can be the bully and we're never going to get full buy-in from someone else or really get the resolution that we even want if we're just looking to win and and speak over somebody. So I really thought that was such a great example of finding your peace, finding your center and if you need to buy time, buy a little bit of time because people will come back to things with emotions slowed down and hopefully some better solutions or they're going to reveal who they are. And maybe they come back to that next call and they're still angry and volatile. You know, that's not your partner. I love that. Thank you. Even if it was not the. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure not which that, one it was. Doesn't matter. You have, <laughs> man, you've been doing this for too long. You have too many systems and processes and whatnot. <laughs> um, any last words of wisdom to to give over to the audience? To give over to the audience. Yeah, as I mentioned, confidence is the one thing that changes everything. It set the intention, get clear on what your goals are, and and realize that, you know, this life is about finding joy and doing good in the world. And if you haven't found yours yet, like, start focusing on that as well. Like, the more, you know, no fish is going to be happy trying to climb up a tree. But if a fish is put in the water, the fish is going to be pretty happy. Find your place in life, like, whatever that, that may be, right? Like, you just got to kind of start saying, hey, I'm I'm an accountant because that's what I've always done. I don't, I don't feel joyful at work. Okay, let's hit pause right now. When do you feel joyful? Like start finding out when is it you feel at your best and then let's figure out how you make that leap from accounting to art or whatever it is and how you find a thriving career there. You might not have the answers yet, but I promise you in, in time you'll find it. If people want to reach out to you, where do they go? Social, website, my website is heathermonahan.com. My show is Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan. I'm on all social media at Heather Monahan. And my two books are Confidence Creator and Overcome Your Villains. Amazing. And last two questions to close it out. Um, what would be one thing you would tell your 20-year-old self? Oh my gosh, I love you. You have so much within you. You have no idea. Like, wait until you see what is ahead of you. Just go bigger. Stop asking the rest of the world for to make decisions for you and start asking yourself the one voice and opinion that matters will always be your own. And then what does success mean to you? Success means having freedom to do the things you love with the people you love while you're taking care of yourself, you know, and, and doing good in the world. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.